Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the About to Review podcast. I'm your host, as always, that guy named John. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. It is listed everywhere you can find podcasts. So be that Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Alexa via TuneIn, Stitcher, Blueberry. If you find a place where it is not listed on a podcast at podcast catcher, let me know, and I will make sure it is on there. Uh, also go to abouttreview.com for all of the full links to the show notes and guests. Follow the podcast on social media at About to Review, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as youtube.com slash about to review. Uh, the Renton City Comic Con Geek Awards are still going on for voting, so you can vote for this very podcast in three different categories, questions 8, 9, and 10. The links for that will be in the show notes below. Uh, and there, yeah, there's going to be another announcement regarding a different podcast award coming up uh, pretty soon that I will be announcing. Joining me on this week's episode is a man who I've wanted to have on the show for a while. We have tried this uh, once before back in February and just scheduling did not really work out. But I'm welcoming to the show via the Skype slash Google machine, Emmanuel Noisette from Eman's Movie Reviews. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so Emmanuel does awesome movie reviews. Uh, where can people find basically all of your stuff kind of right up front? Yeah, you know what? The best place right now would be uh, themovieblog.com. That's mm-hmm. where I've been doing the majority of my writing. Um, but when in doubt, definitely follow my Facebook fan page. You know, just go to Facebook, Eman's Movie Reviews. And that's uh, Eman, kind of like He-Man, except minus the H. So if you just type that in, you should definitely find me. Sounds like a plan. And all of Emmanuel's uh, links to his stuff will be in the show notes uh, below. So make sure to click those and and check him out and all of the stuff he does. This week's episode, we're going to be talking about two new movies. Uh, one of which I, had, I saw a while ago that I have been embargoed from talking about for like two months, uh, which is Boots Riley's Sorry to Bother You. And then the other film we'll be talking about is the fourth installment of the Purge series, which is called The First Purge, which makes talking about it really weird because when people would be asking, they're like, oh, did you see the new Purge movie? And I was like, yeah, The First Purge. And I'm like, yeah, the new one. And I was like, yes, The, the First Purge. It got real confusing. <laughs> so we'll be talking about those two movies uh, as well as the geek news. So uh, before we get into that, we'll get into the original theme song created by Damon Randall of Ill-Mannered Media. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. All right. So, uh, also, before the geek news, we need to do a little getting to know you section about the one and only Emmanuel Noisette. So, you are a Chicago-based film critic, and because of that, Chicago's kind of market is a couple steps higher than Seattle. So, you guys get a ton of people coming through Chicago, and you have had the chance to interview some pretty amazing people, you know, like Chadwick Boseman a while ago. No big deal. No big deal. Just the Black Panther no. himself. Yeah. Just the King of Wakanda. Right. 
<laughs> so because you have those opportunities or you can get those opportunities a little bit easier than people in other markets, I want to know who is on your top three interview want list. That I've already interviewed or that I want to That interview? you want to interview for oh, your show. Oh, man. That's... Okay. Well, first of all... um. I would absolutely love to have a longer conversation with Sterling K. Brown. Mm. Um, I think he is phenomenal. He is underrated, I would say, absolutely. in the film world. In the film world, because TV, if you watch This Is Us, everybody knows he's 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 great. But I would love to to interview him um, as a geek. You know, I would love to have Kevin Foggy on the show, you know, or just right. <laughs> in general. Uh, man, now you got me just thinking of <laughs> who else. Um, you know what? There, This might be a three-way tie between uh, Ava DuVernay, mm-hmm. Viola Davis, mm-hmm. and Denzel Washington. Oof. Like, I, d- I just want to hear them talk. Right. I don't even, <laughs> I don't, I don't even care what the questions are. I just, just go ahead. The mic's on just talk right oh yeah that that would be my top five list for your top three okay so you kind of cheated i'm usually a stickler for the rules but we we can let that one slide all right uh i mean yeah those are definitely incredible picks i mean yeah with sterling k brown because yeah you had a chance you talked to him for uh Uh, marshall that was it yeah 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 they did the red carpet Um, in chicago yeah, yeah, which which was great. I mean, you know, the only part that sucks about those interviews is that they're super limited. Like, mm-hmm. you literally have two minutes with a publicist hawking over you, you know, just giving you the death stare from afar if you just, I don't know, don't hurry up. But I did manage to get, you know, two, two good questions. Um, definitely one that touched on, like, more of the current social issues and again, just as a geek, I just wanted to know, like, hey, if you could be a superhero in a movie, like, who would you be? And he reconfirmed that he wanted to be uh, the Green Lantern, you know. So I was like, yes, because that was my first pick for him. I want him to be the Green Lantern Ugh. whenever he DC would, gets he would stuff crush together. Rush it! I'm Absolutely telling crush you, it. he will. People don't get it. The guy's in shape. The guy can act. He wants to play the role. Mm-hmm. It's it's a slam dunk from everywhere. And he would be the type of John Stewart where because of just his face, like he has so many just kind of lines and so many so yes. much character in his face. It looks like it was made for him. Yeah, you could easily pull him in to a movie and be like, Oh yeah, this guy, yeah, he has been fighting things in space for a while. Yep. Like you would not need Absolutely. to do a big origin story, all this, just be like, Nope, just pull him in. Yep. Yep. He's ready made. He's ready-made. It's fine. You don't have to do anything. But that would mean that, let me see. Oh, yeah, DC would have to trust not only their audience, but their filmmakers, which they do not. <sighs> you know, that's that's a whole nother show, man. Right. <laughs> there's, there's a lot to untangle with that. For sure. But, yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. Sterling K, hashtag Sterling K. Brown for Green Lantern. Uh, we, can, yes. we can see how much we can get that going. Uh, and then speak, kind of tying back to your film criticism. So yeah. you have been doing this for, for a while. So yeah. what separates in your mind a good movie versus a great movie? Because we see a yeah. ton of movies. Is it the tone, impact, style, the characters, 
you know, that really separate those two. So my, the way I look at movies and approach them, right? Like, yeah, we can get technical, right? But, you know, I also try to think about who am I actually talking to? Because one thing I've noticed with, you know, people within our industry, our colleagues Mm -hmm. even, is that, you know, there's, dare I say, two different audiences that we talk to. One audience are film buffs Mm -hmm. or people within the industry. And you're talking about people that might be other critics, other directors, other actors, or just people that would love to be one of those things, but just don't. But they really, really love movies. Mm Mm-hmm. Then the other side of that is you're talking to the general public. And for me, I've always tried to, you know, traverse both lanes. So it it changes how I approach my critiquing of films because I can talk about the cinematography and you you and I will get that. But maybe the general audience is like, what? Like, Mm -hmm. what are you talking about? You know, so, uh, um, you know, I... I have to make it almost like in a more layman's terms, but at the same time, I try to focus on the fundamentals of what movies do. So it's not just, I mean, the writing is important. The characters are important. The tone, all those things are important, but what do they mean, Mm -hmm. right? Those are all ingredients for something greater. And one of the things that I like to think about with movies is what are you trying to do? Movies, if we were, if we, if we take a very philosophical reductionist perspective on this, movies are—it's art, mm-hmm. right? To make a film is art. But beyond that, when some, when an artist makes a piece of art, what are they really trying to do? They're not just trying to express themselves because usually that's a one-way street. Human beings are pretty relational, right? Like mm-hmm. we are made to create or to uh, communicate with one another. So when you express yourself, there's usually some form of intention for that to be received. So when I look at a movie, I think about director, writer, actor, what are you trying to tell me? What Mm -hmm. are you trying to tell all of us? And once I kind of figure out what that is, now I can start to judge you or critique you on what your potential intention might be. So, you know, if you're going to give me an action movie, I know that your intentions are entirely different than if you give me, you know, a love comedy or something, Mm -hmm. you know, a rom-com or whatever. So, you know, those are the type of things that I think that um, when I approach uh, film criticism, I try to look at what are they trying to do? What are they trying to communicate? Was it effective? How did they go about that? Um, you know, and, and was it successful? You know, and, and when you do those type of things, I think that's a good way to talk to both audiences that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, I can talk about the technical stuff, but I can also talk about like the themes. I can talk about, you know, just the structure of the story and, you know, hey, how did this make you feel? You know, all these different elements that at some point, no matter what level you might be as a reader or a viewer, um you'll get it. And, you know, if we really want to be more uh specific i mean when i got into this whole film criticism thing 
the reason why I got into it, well, there are a couple of reasons why, but one of my approaches was I want to be that friend of yours that talks to you about a movie when you go see it with them. Because we all do this. Everyone's a film critic. Mm-hmm. Every single person. Yep. If you've watched a movie, you are a film critic. Because every time you walk out of a movie, what do you do? You want to talk about it. You talk about what you like, what you didn't like, and, you know, whatever. So, for me, I'm just like, hey, if you went out and saw a movie, I'm going to be that guy that was your friend that was sitting there watching it with you, and we're going to talk. You know? It just so happens I might write it or make it a video, but... We're still talking to one another, so mm-hmm. um, that's that's my basic uh, approach to this whole thing. Yeah, and that, I mean that definitely is something that that I talk about frequently. You talked about the different kind of audiences, and you know I talked about even as recently as last week with a movie called Leave No Trace, where even within my local film critics, you know my friends, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they they absolutely loved leave no trace they're putting it on their top three lists mm-hmm. i watched it you know based on some of that because i was like all right i trust you guys you guys are my friends and colleagues and when i after i watched it and i brought some stuff up to them being like so there were no people of color in this entire movie mm-hmm. not one mm-hmm. and they're like oh yeah i i didn't notice that yeah because again even within our industry and our community film criticism yeah it's just about those lenses and mm-hmm. and the different ways that our own experiences shape literally what we see in yeah. in a film. And so when it comes to being a quote unquote real film critic, I use the word if I'm talking to my friends like, oh, you know, a credentialed film critic sure. because you are absolutely right. Everybody when they come out of the film is talking about it. They are critiquing it. They are breaking it apart and doing that. It just happens that some of us write about it podcast about it do videos about it that is the only difference yes and and you know and and excuse me for not answering your question a little bit more specifically the difference between a good movie and a great movie first of all all movies are subjective right but what you're talking about um is what matters i think um not only do you have to think about uh the intention of the movie but you also have to think about who was the intended audience too? Mm-hmm. Because not all movies are made for you. They're not made for me. I mean, we can cer- certainly enjoy them or not, but that doesn't mean that they're speaking to us. So, for example, A Wrinkle in Time was not made for me. Right. It was not a movie probably made for you, nor for anyone else that was not a young black girl between the ages of like <laughs> 10 and 15 years old. Right. You know, like it was a very niche movie that it really spoke to a very niche uh, audience. So, you know, we have to kind of think about those type of factors because I don't think it's fair if you make a movie that narrow for me to come here and say that movie sucked mm-hmm. or it was bad. Like I, I, what place do I have to say that when you clearly were not speaking to me? Um, you know, and that's actually one of the reasons why I really didn't want to review a wrinkle in time. And instead I had my 10 year old daughter do it because right. it fit her. It spoke to her and guess what? She liked it, you know? So who's right in that case, you know? Um, 
but but yeah that's and and you know to to go to your other point um that's why we need diversity in film because films are made for different people for all walks of life um for different reasons for different intentions with different messages um different perspectives and some things are not going to resonate with other people and that's okay um i mean i remember going to wonder woman i thought the movie was cool it was fine it wasn't Mm -hmm. the greatest thing on earth for me but then again the movie was not made for me the movie was made with an intention to really appeal to a lot of women and i remember when i was in the screening watching it you're talking about like every time those were, you know, like that moment where she was in the in the ditch and you know she got up and no it was man's a real land, heroic yeah, yeah, moment. yeah, like it was a dope moment. Don't get me wrong, but you're talking about there were women that were like standing up and applauding during that moment, you know, getting goosebumps and just you know like losing their minds, and that's great for them. Mm-hmm. I can appreciate that from afar. And here's the thing. Even though I didn't feel that at that moment, I can appreciate what the film did and what the intentions were. So I give the, you know, for in my review anyway, I give the movie points for it. I'm like, yeah, you guys, you nailed it. You did what you sought out to do because you reached that specific audience and it worked. Yeah. So well, and there I, think, were, I loved seeing I loved yeah. seeing some of the the tweets you know about it when it was hitting theaters from a lot of the women who saw it. And they were like, "Wait, is this what dudes feel like every time they see an action movie?" <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I mean, it really was. And but it was the yes, first time that so many women saw a movie, right. and they were like, "Wait, I can do anything." Yeah. I, you know, I might not be able to, you know, jump, fly, deflect bullets, but that feeling and seeing yeah. their reactions, they were like wow, this must be what it feels like. And it was like, it kind of is. Like, yeah, I mean. it totally is. And, and you know, that's, that's what I think is the difference between a good and a great movie. A good movie is one that, you know, is probably universally liked, mm-hmm. but, it, you know, it, it, it doesn't necessarily do very much for you. A great movie is one that touches you. And that could be in any different type of way. Maybe it makes you mad because that's what they wanted. Maybe it makes you happy because that's what they wanted. You know, like I, I, I've always said that a great movie is a movie that drives you. Mm. It, it, like you are put into the back seat and you just go for the ride. You are not there as the passenger, you know, in the passenger seat. You're not a backseat driver saying, oh, well, you should have made a left when, you know, they made a right. No. You are there for the ride. You're enjoying the scenery. And if there are some twists and turns, guess what? You're there for the long haul. And if, uh, you know, that's that's when you know you have a good director, a good writer, a good story. Um, because, again, you're just sitting there just taking it all in. And if a movie can make you mad, control your emotions and all that, that's a great movie, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, when it can tell you a message and you get it, you know, it, like get out. It said it had a lot of messages, and I got it. Some people didn't get it, and guess what? They didn't like the movie. Shocking Big surprise, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know? So those, are, I think, that's the difference um, between a good and a great movie. Is like how effective is it at accomplishing its goal um, 
with its intended audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Took a long time to answer that answer hey. that question. Sorry. <laughs> All good. I mean, and speaking of those kind of intended audiences, one of the other things that you do as a film critic that I do not see any of our other colleagues doing anywhere is you rent out theaters or you've done it a couple of times. You will rent out a theater, invite people and do kind of these private screenings of movies. Yeah. So how, when did you get that idea? How did it come apart? Like come together because you're like, man, yeah. Talk about that. Look, um, let me tell you something. Uh, when I got into this, I didn't even know it was possible for me to be a film critic. Mm-hmm. I the the term film critic still feels awkward for me, to be honest with you, because I feel like it's also kind of limiting. Um, you know, a lot of times people ask me like, "Well, what, like, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go?" And I was like, "I don't know, but I, it's not just this. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to only be a film critic because, I mean, think about it. Like, have you ever seen?" Uh, movie review go viral very very rarely very rarely unless it's like something insane like the person who gave get out the first negative review (laughs) you know ever (laughs) like you know just like something crazy like that but you know uh, the days of the roger eberts and and you know richard ropers and you know like when they were a household name that stuff is kind of dissipating a little bit given Mm -hmm. social media so to me, it's kind of like, okay, well, what's beyond that? I really don't, I don't have the patience to sit down and write long reviews for newspapers or whoever. Like, I just don't feel like doing that. Um, even though I do video reviews and stuff, even that has a limitation. Mm-hmm. Because when you look at, like, the number one top YouTube movie reviewer or whatever, even they have a certain cap of how many people of a following and stuff like that. So for me, I was kind of thinking to myself like, well, you know what? I don't like limits. You know, I, I don't really like, uh, um, pigeonholing myself into a position where this is just what I'm going to be able to do. So when it came, when I saw an opportunity, for example, cause black Panther mm-hmm. was the first movie that I decided, like, I, I I I had such a personal attachment to the movie that being a film critic was the last thing on my on my mind. You know, like I was just like, no, I'm a fan. I've waited for a movie like this for years. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to share that experience because I knew if I could feel this way, it could definitely make other people feel that way too. Because that movie to me was like a once in a lifetime situation. Like, you know, that event that I did, which was basically a watch party for black Panther. And what I did was I had, um, different partnerships with movie theaters, uh, different outlets that I worked with. Uh, at the time I was working with uh, movietickets.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had worked with uh, Fandango a little bit, um, Marcus theaters. Um, and what I did was like, I just said like, Hey, you know, like I do little partnerships and stuff with you guys for different events. Can you spot me a couple free tickets here and there? Maybe right. five here, five there, whatever. Sooner or later, I got about like 50 free tickets. So I was like, great. I'm just going to invite people 
to come and watch this movie. And mm-hmm. then I went to my local church and my church was like, hey, this is great. Let's we'd love to give a donation and let's invite the the youth. And I was like, absolutely. That is so, awesome. <laughs> you know, we had like a hundred fans come and we had like fifty kids from the church come and and I mean like I still get like emotional from that whole thing because the movie was one thing, but bringing the community together and basically sharing and tapping into that very same love and passion for movies that we all have and sharing that within the community was a different and new experience that I don't know how many film critics do that mm-hmm. if any at all that was and, that was the thing and, is like when I saw you yeah. doing that I I mean I have been in and around this for a while mm-hmm. I'm not seeing anybody else doing that like and not just not? and not doing it as a maybe not prop is the, is the wrong word but you what you were doing was and i could feel it in seattle you know and you were in chicago it was a truly community centered focus as opposed to a you know if collider or sci-fi you know is doing a free screening of something it is different like it, it is totally. it's a different type of thing but yeah so as for who else was doing it nobody <laughs> yeah and you know i mean like i, I tried to be a brand but at the same time a person Mm -hmm. you know and that's why you know one other thing that you know your listeners might you know start to get to know me if you guys follow me um whenever i have stuff i give it back you know like if if the movie studios give me posters or whatever i'm giving that back to the fans Mm -hmm. If, if i get free tickets i'm doing contests so other people can go watch these movies for free um I, as a matter of fact i just got done giving 15 winners uh, uh ant-man tickets so they can go watch ant-man and the wasp nice. so you know those are the type of things that i like to do because you know again I, it, it's one thing for me to give you my opinion about a movie but i think it's also another thing for me to serve the same people that are basically uplifting and supporting my channel and that's by throwing events doing promotions, doing contests, giving back. And I want it to be kind of reciprocal, you know, and Hey, the bigger I get, the more that, and that's kind of my perspective, the bigger I get, the more I can give back. So that's why I don't want people to think that, you know, I'm just like getting a big ego and getting big. No, like I really just want to get bigger so I can do more in different ways. And, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, that's just, you know, we all love movies and i want to expand how that experience can be for everyone for sure and the contest that i started doing based on the partnerships you know that i have with like dk books and everything like that you were definitely an inspiration for me for that because of that same connection of that same thing of like okay i have these you know connections with dk and they send me books yeah all it took was an email to the publicist mm-hmm. being like, hey, can I get an extra one? And, sure. you know, so I can give it away to the listeners, you know, and they were like, yeah, of course. Like to them, like it was something that to them, they were like, so of these thousands of books we have in store, you just need one. Okay. Like, so That's they, it? they shipped it. Yeah. They shipped it out to me with <laughs> oh, like look, a couple of days. I, 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 and I'm not bragging, right? I cannot tell you how many boxes 
of random merchandise <laughs> movie theaters will send me. And I'm talking about random stuff. And the crazier thing is, people love that. Mm-hmm. I, like, I literally go to the movie theater because I, I do have a partnership with Marcus Theaters um, where, you know, like, I'll promote them, they promote me, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I'll go up to the theater random days, carry a bunch of boxes of random stuff. I mean, literally, I think one time for that movie, A Cure for Wellness, they just gave me a silver platter. I don't even know why. <laughs> like, it had no design on it. Mm-hmm. It was just a random silver platter. Uh, I had little Godzilla Funko toys or whatever. Like, it's the craziest thing. And those things go quick. For sure. I was, looking ar- I was looking around my studio because yeah. I have so many of those things also. Like, usually, I'm, I have dozens of t-shirts, you know, that mm-hmm. they just do it. So, just, I think it is awesome that, yeah, you took it upon yourself to not just be like, cool i'm getting these things let me just you know stack them over here yeah my wife wouldn't let that happen anyway (laughs) (laughs) she's like get this out or i'm burning it and i'm like okay let's give it to them and you're like and contest time (laughs) right (laughs) nice very cool all right so uh thank you for for sharing you know so much uh about yourself and again like you and I, we tried to do a collaboration back in February for Black History Month because during that whole month, I was trying to really work with my fellow creators of color, content creators yeah. of color, to sh- give them another platform. You know, again, in that sure. way, just to give back. So we, we're not able to do it then, but we're we're doing it now. So, uh, so thank you for I'm that. Happy. Uh, cool. Uh, so now we can go straight into the geek news. So the geek news uh, this week is is interesting there there are some some unconfirmed things like there always are uh so the first one that is totally unconfirmed and we'll see if it actually ends up happening uh but there is a solid rumor i guess that charlie's angels 3 but not actually a sequel so a reboot of charlie's angels you know, is it, coming is this is this gonna happen after the first one or is it see i because i noticed they, <laughs> there's this new trend happening we've seen it with jurassic world and uh i forget which other one just recently did it but they're like reboots but they're after a sequel so i i've just been calling them sea boots oh sea boots okay yeah i've just been calling them sea boots because i'm like <laughs> it's a sequel reboot yeah. And we're supposed to forget everything else? Like Terminator. Terminator's oh. going to do that it's coming up soon. Well, hey, James Cameron's <laughs> supposedly on board. and I mean, so is Linda so, Hamilton. So is Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, the thing yeah. with Terminator, Terminator is the worst example of a studio being like, all right, so this one ties into here. And like, you know, the murderer who has the red string on cork boards? That is yeah. the Terminator franchise. It makes no sense anymore. After Terminator 2... Everything yeah. just went. It's supposed to pick up after two no. and er- effectively erase everything else. Ugh. Uh, but I mean, Halloween is doing the same thing too. So, but Halloween, I don't know. I'm legitimately excited for. Really? Okay. Yeah. All right. It looks solid. But this this sea boot, uh, as yes. Emmanuel just said. So Charlie's Angels, the r- rumored cast would be Lupita Nyong'o and Kristen Stewart. And Elizabeth Banks is supposed to be directing it, maybe starring in it also. Uh, the article that I read within the span of three days 
said that Sony had confirmed the casting. And then when I uh, renewed the page, or renewed the page, <laughs> when I refreshed the page before we started recording, it says, update, Sony has said this is unconfirmed casting. <laughs> so who knows? Uh, as for, do we need this? No. We, we really do not. In the especially like you talked about wonder woman with black panther like give us a woman of wakanda movie if they're looking for a new charlie's angels-esque type thing which is basically just a female empowerment group of women doing awesome things yeah yeah we do not need another charlie's angels movies there are so many other characters that you can do so yeah that is just weird and actually after seeing ant-man and the wasp Give me a wasp movie. I am told. Look, I'll do you one better. Just give me the wasp and Black Widow. Mm. Put them together. You can leave. You can leave. You can leave Black Widow out of there. What? (laughs) I mean, she's getting her own movie anyway. I'm just saying, put the wasp in there too. Nope. Slide out Black Black Widow. Just give us the wasp movie. Evangeline Lilly, like, convinced me after Ant-Man and the Wasp. I was like, she is great in this. Like, her character makes sense. Yeah. Black Widow, ugh. Pey- Peyton Reed did a wonderful job. Yeah. I will say that. Yeah. So uh, that is, yeah, Charlie's Angels. Who knows? Um, John Wick 3, a, a sequel that, again, I'm legitimately excited for. Same. Officially announced its title for John Wick 3, which is John Wick 3, Parabellum, which is part of a, a Latin phrase. Civis Pacem Parabellum, which translates, if you want peace, prepare for war. The John Wick universe blew me away. Like the first movie, it was just like a flat out revenge movie. You talked about a movie taking you on a ride. John Wick, both times, took me on a ride where I was just in the car, letting it happen. Loved them both. With this third one, preparing for war, like... Dude, what have you been doing the past two movies, if not war? (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey, they've been world building. And that's what I actually really appreciate about both of the movies so far. Um, I mean, we just keep learning more and more about this world of assassins. And, you know, uh, it's kind of interesting because I'm, I'm... I kind of want to know, but I kind of don't want to know about his actual history and his legend. You know, like it's it's actually kind of cool that we mm-hmm. don't know, but everyone else, you know, just exemplifies like, oh, that's John Wick. Like you do not mess with that dude. <laughs> you don't mess with him or his dog. Like stop <laughs> or his car. You no, know, or his car. <laughs> just, just leave him alone. Just right. leave the guy alone. So yeah, I mean, I, I think um, I, I'm excited for it. Like. I don't I, know what they're going to do, and I don't neither care. Do I. I'll, just, <laughs> I'll just be there. Mm-hmm. And I was I was kind of worried when Hotel Artemis came out. I was like, okay, so that takes away a movie about the Continental, uh, because mm-hmm. I think too many people would see that as similar, which is fine, but mm-hmm. similar to kind of what we talked about before of trusting the audience. John Wick starts, no flashbacks to 20 years ago when he was doing special forces training, no you know, this or that. It was just like, okay, this event happened, then this event happened, go. And John Wick yep. 2 starts exactly the same way. John, it, like with this car chase in the first two minutes, and you're like, okay, here we go. I'm totally okay with that. Like, mm-hmm. look, most action movies, 
they don't need huge expositions or anything <laughs> like that. I mean, don't get me wrong. You don't want to have something insultingly, you know, just bad. Mm-hmm. But you do want, let you know, not to sound sexist, but, you know, it's, it's a guy's movie where you're just like, look, just give me the meat and potatoes. I don't need any vegetables. And let's, let's, let's just get dirty with this, you know. Right. So, yeah, I'm, yeah, so I'm, I'm totally on board. Yeah, I, I'm hyped for that one. Uh, Jeremy Renner, it was announced that he is going to be playing Twitch of Sam and Twitch in the new Spawn movie, which Jamie Foxx is playing Spawn. Um, <laughs> so, first, I, I am excited for the new Spawn movie, but I'm also incredibly nervous about the new Spawn movie. Uh, As you should be. Yeah, Tom McFarlane is directing it. He is writing it. I, I've talked about this before. Sometimes you are too close to something. Sometimes you need yes. to just take take one or two steps back. Todd McFarlane yes. is like, cool, I still own everything Spawn related because he was one of the founders of Image Comics. He owns anything done with Spawn. So he was like, cool, I want to write it. I want to direct it. I want to cast it. I want to do this. And it was like, all right, uh, here we go. And Jeremy Renner being cast as Twitch, which is kind of the same in Twitch for the non-comic deep dive comic book you know, fans of the podcast, Sam and Twitch were basically like the brains and brawn detectives that were in mm-hmm. the same city where Spawn is going around murdering people all the time. And they are the ones that show up and be like, okay, so how do we piece this together and tell a, tell an actual story <laughs> to the public? Mm-hmm. So it will be interesting. Jeremy Renner. I just, I, th- I, I, I think I, he was miscast. What was that? I, I don't think, I, I think he was miscast. I don't think he, really needs to be in that role <laughs> honestly i would have given that role to an older care uh, older actor um Ooh, uh the first person that literally just came to mind william h macy yeah i could see him I, at first i honestly thought of gary oldman but i was like mm, uh, too good like well, too good and t- too good for this movie <laughs> you know and commissioner gordon but, like uh, yeah I, I love yeah. Gary Oldman, but William H. Macy, I think, has that scrawny, you know, look about him where, you know, he could be he could be the kind of disheveled brains of this detective group or detective yeah. partnership without distracting the audience, which I think, again, casting Jamie Foxx in a role where we might actually not see Jamie Foxx as himself for very much which of it. That bothers me. And that bothers me a lot. Yeah. Because... Spawn isn't really known for his good looks. No. You know, he's he's a guy with a messed up burned face. And my biggest issue, well, it's not my biggest, but one of my concerns when they, you know, mentioned Jamie Foxx was, are you guys going to do anything to give him a little bass in his voice? Because <laughs> he's not the most intimidating sounding person no. in the world, even when he's like growling. So it's kind of like, uh it's, I don't I don't know how this is going to work but to go back to your other point I am incredibly nervous that Todd is trying to do this on his own mm-hmm. like as as a director this is this is not a comic book it's not even an animation type of thing this is directing where you have to know the lenses the lighting the sound like you need to be involved on a whole different level with things and Honestly, I I just would have been like, and I think this is one of the main reasons why 
it took so long for this movie to actually get the green light because if you're a studio you're not about to sit here and be like oh you're todd mcfarland okay let's give you a bunch of money for spawn oh wait you want to direct it (laughs) right (laughs) how many feature films have you done before oh none oh okay yeah no we'll we'll keep our 150 million dollars so you know I think it's a great pairing to go with Blumhouse because... Exactly. I was just going to say that, like Blumhouse, and we'll talk about them in our first review of this episode, but Blumhouse, they're like, all right, Todd, you have a crazy vision. You want to be the writer-director? We'll give you $5 million, (laughs) you know, or something. Like, I I still think they might even do maybe 10 or 15 because it it is going to need some graphics. But in Mm. general, Blumhouse is known to do these really... I mean, again in Hollywood terms, small budget films that then make a grip of cash afterwards. So I think, I think it's a good pairing. They they market very well. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So I, you know, honestly, and I'm not, I have my reservations with this, but I think this actually would have been the perfect movie for Zack Snyder to do. I know, (laughs) I know, but you have to think about it. The man knows how to do visual stuff. He knows how to and do visual, thi- dark, depressing stuff like Justice League. Yeah. Spawn. Hello, Spawn. <laughs> That's Spawn. And you give him a tight, <laughs> confined story where he does not get to go all over the place. He can actually deliver. He can't do big narratives. No. <laughs> he can't do character building. Nope. But if you give this man a small, confined story with a straight line and you just say, hey, make it look cool, I guarantee you Spawn could look amazing. Yes, I will agree with you with that. It would look visually stunning like a lot of Zack Snyder's work. But, oof, yeah, I worry about that. It's not a deep movie. It's not deep. True. And, like, my pick for Spawn, and I said this on the podcast like a year ago. Ray mm-hmm. Fisher, who played Cyborg in Justice League. Mm-hmm. Give it to him. Mm. Like, he is young. He is huge. Like, you can look at him and be like, okay, that was a former Special Forces guy. You look at Jamie Foxx, and like you said, it goes back to, like, how intimidating is he really? <laughs> I need to see Ray Fisher in, like, a goatee or something. Because the baby face right now is not <laughs> It's not all that intimidating. I'm True. I don't know. True. I don't know. But, like, physically, and I think, especially if you are not going to have Ray Fisher looking like Ray Fisher for part of it, it was like, that makes sense. You can get Ray Fisher. I mean, again, whatever they're paying Jamie Foxx, you give Ray Fisher a quarter of that. And he would be like, cool, I'm in. Absolutely. You can give that to me. I'll do it. (laughs) You have a goatee. You know, go for it. Whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I'm excited, but also terrified of, of the spawn movie i have vivid memories of seeing that for the first time in the theater when it came out with my dad and one of his students like yeah so and jeremy renner yeah i just not a good fit i, I just cannot see him as kind of the 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 scrawny older bronze yeah so we will see yeah i guess uh the last bit of geek news is some sad news uh, which is the passing of absolutely legendary artist Steve Ditko. So Steve Ditko, you might not know the name unless you know comic books like we do, 
You 100%. I do not care. All of my listeners are not the same level of geek. No, no problem. Regardless, you know of Steve Ditko's creations, co-creations. I will say with Stan Lee, because if not, Stanley's lawyers get real upset because uh, Stanley likes to take credit for everything. But I'm just going to go down the list of like the top 10 Steve Ditko uh, characters. Uh, Squirrel Girl, who is gaining a lot of popularity these days. Uh, they're working on a movie with her. Uh, Wong, who is in Doctor Strange recently, played by B.D. Wong, or not B.D. Wong, Benedict Wong. Uh, then you start getting into other characters, like mm, Dr. Octopus, Dr. Strange, all of these all of these characters that he co-created. He came up with the visual concept and drew them in their first appearances. But of course, his number one, I would say, not just I would say, a lot of people say, number one co-creation, Spider-Man. You know, that, that friendly neighborhood Spider-Man that everybody knows, everybody on the planet knows Spider-Man. So like I said, legendary artist. He passed away at 90 years old. That's a good life. That is, well, hmm. It is a long life. Uh, unfortunately, with Steve Ditko, life. he was very J.D. Salinger-esque, and rarely in the past 30 years did any interviews, did not want to be involved. Like, when they started doing the Doctor Strange movie, which became a big hit, it was not maybe as big as they were hoping it would be, but it visually broke a bunch of barriers, and it was gorgeous. They, like, he avoided all of it. Like, there were reporters that wanted to like talk to him and get his opinion and nope. So, and that all stemmed from apparently a rift between him and Stan Lee from like the seventies. Wow. Yeah. Like either one of them holds a big grudge. I'm not sure which one, but something happened way back when. And that led Steve Ditko to be like, you know what? I, I, I don't want to really, be in the forefront. I do not really want to associate with Stan Lee. He did do some other work for DC and Charlton Comics, I mean, back then. But the craziest part to me when I whenever I whenever these legends pass away. It, so he is 90 years old. To put that in context. So he was born in 1927. Action Comics number 1, the birth of the modern comic book. First appearance of Superman, all of that was 1938. He was 11 years old when comic books started. Like, that is the craziest thing, is people forget or just do not know comic books, like, people like to think they've been around forever or whatever. There are people around who were there from the beginning who saw everything that they became. That blows my mind. Yikes. Yikes. Well, my mind is blown. Right. <laughs> just thinking about that now and letting it sink in. Sheesh. To not just to I mean, yeah, to not just be not just remember. Like mm-hmm. it, you know, my dad was born in the late forties, so he remembers reading Captain America and all of that stuff. But to have somebody who can actually remember when Action Comics number one came out is madness. And then he went on to create some of the most popular characters in pop culture. So huge, huge, just bucket of win for, for Steve Ditko, whatever 
happened back in the day that caused that rift that sucks uh just one of those examples yeah. just let stuff go like yeah. it just it, we're putting that stuff on your shoulders whether it is a grudge from somebody from middle school high school whatever just let it go that's yeah so uh but yeah so good for steve ditko for creating co-creating these amazing characters that mean a lot to a lot of us uh geeks and non-geeks alike uh so that yeah that wraps it up for for the geek news uh, unless you had more to gush about steve ditko i don't unfortunately (laughs) fair enough uh all right then we will go into uh the first movie review of this Mm -hmm. episode Speaking of Blumhouse, so it was on the tip of our tongue earlier. First movie is The First Purge, not the yeah. first in the series. Well, technically, okay. See, again, it gets confusing. This technically is the fourth movie, but the first in the series because it is a prequel to the other three. Right. So how about you, how about you set this one up? Um. So... <laughs> This is definitely one of those um I mean it's the foundation. It's it's basically everything that led up to uh society buying into this whole political experiment, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just one of those things where um I look if if we're already going to dive into it I liked the approach that they took with this to try and ground it to try and make it practical mm-hmm. um I love the idea of uh incentivizing you know uh, um or giving incentives to the local residents <laughs> to right. actually participate you know um because it's one of those things where like in a and I guess that taps into the real fear of this could happen. It, yeah. it seems kind of scary, but at the same time, people will do a lot of things <laughs> for money. Yeah, you know? and that was one of the first things I wrote down in my notes after this film. Yeah, do not show anybody in the White House this film because guarantee oh you're gonna have some senators be like, hmm. This is kind of a good idea. Like, no, keep this away from any lawmaker at any level because somebody, if they have not, if they have not already had that idea, are going to watch this and be like, so how much money could we give away? And and you know, they use like a red MAGA hat as part of the promotion too. Oh yeah. So it it was, you know, I mean, and, and you know what, like. I guess the one thing I had kind of hoped for with this movie was just the fact that I wish that the first purge would have been the last purge, the third one. <laughs> I was like, okay, which which one? Yep. So like, just throw election day like out the window. Right. Like, we don't need that. Um, I I would have totally liked this one to be the third one because uh, at this point. I don't know if they can show us anything new or different anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've already seen some pretty wild and crazy things. 
And while it was appreciated to see, you know, the degree of purgers, I did like that. You know, some people were going for ATMs and other people were really, really crazy. Mm -hmm. And some people were just not. So, you know, I like the fact that it didn't just go from zero to 100 like the other movies did. Um, But at the same time, what else can you show us? Yeah. You know, what else can you do? that's going to take it to another level that we haven't been to. And I think it was just a victim of being the fourth movie (laughs) in a franchise that, you know, probably really should have just been a quick trilogy and, you know, called it a day from there. Well, that is the thing is not only is this the fourth movie, there is a TV show coming out in the fall. Let's stretch it some more. And that I'm like, okay, unless this show and I, I, they gave us a little teaser about it uh, before our screening, but I, mm-hmm. I'm not sure what network it is on. But I'm like, unless this is on Stars or Showtime, mm-hmm. you are not going to be able to replicate the type of violence that has become associated with these films on TV. I mean, is it I, is it torture porn at this point? It is not that because there are not. Uh, I I, w- I would not say that because to me things like you know, the hills have eyes or, you know, right. where they just, they're purposely showing you as much as they can. This mm-hmm. one, oddly enough, for as, as many people die or not, not die. They don't just have heart attacks for as many people that are murdered mm-hmm. in this movie. It was not as bloody and like as, as intentionally graphic as it could have been, which I think is the difference. Torture porn is like, cool. What is the limit and how do we break that limit? Sure. Uh, But with this one, so speaking of, you know, how we were talking about before, like Ray Fisher as as Spawn or whatever, if if this is kind of the launching point, launching point to give Yolan, what is his name? I wrote Yolan Noel. If this is his launching point for him to be an action star, I am all on board. Let me tell you something. I literally in my review that's going to be published mm, eight o'clock tomorrow morning. I literally said that in the good section, mm-hmm. this was his audition to be Blade. So, period. this is another one of those it, times where like, across the <laughs> nation, you and I, so after our screening, when we saw that, me, Tim Hall, the People's Critic, and a couple other people came out of the screening because we always have the studio rep there to take notes. Yeah. Like, three of us were like, okay, so can he be Blade now? <laughs> I mean, he was Wesley Snipes minus the martial arts prowess. Yeah. And I was just like, hey. And and you know what? He he absolutely had. Now, I did have problems with his character. I did have problems yeah. with that. But for the sake of the action scenes, because it did feel like two different movies. Very much. The first movie felt like The Purge. Second movie felt like Die Hard in the Ghetto. Mm-hmm. So he got his Bruce Willis on. His action scene in the hallway was probably one of the better scenes in the entire movie. Yeah. Um, the cinematography, the the way that they they shot that scene with very minimal cuts as well mm-hmm. was just great. And it just worked perfectly hand in hand with the choreography in that action sequence. So, yeah, I mean, if he wants to be an action star, I'm totally down for that. Um, but he's definitely going to have to pick a much better role than the character that, that 
they had him be because I mean th- they gave him the most basic stereotypical drug kingpin in the community who still loves the community angle. Okay, can can we talk about that for a second? Because that was that was like one of my biggest pet peeves. Yes. First oh, actually, all, be, before we go into that, I do want to say okay, something about okay. that specific hallway fight scene. Uh, yeah. Before our screening, we were just talking about some other movies, like we always do, and I was talking about Equilibrium, uh, one of my guilty pleasure movies that I have seen dozens of times, and how ridiculous the gun kata is. In this hallway fight scene, there is a moment where he shoots a guy in front of him, and without looking turns the gun around and shoots the guy behind him. I lost my mind in the theater. That was... And I had two critics, two of my fellow critics and colleagues on either side, specifically lean forward and look at me, and I was just fist pumping because gun kata works every time. Every time. Oh, yeah. Look, when I saw that, I was like, oh, he's about to be Blade. Yep. Oh, that's it. (laughs) That's it. When you do the no-look gunshot from behind, it's it. That's It's finished. You got it. Yep. You got it. Loved it. No, I was. I'm. Look, I was. I was right there with you. So, <laughs> I don't. Yeah, don't even feel bad about that. Nice. Uh, now you can talk uh, about his. Uh, his character, the the drug lord oh, with the heart of gold. <laughs> gosh. Okay. So I don't even know how big I need to get with this or how it's been. But we can. Let's start small with the fact that he was the the local kingpin drug dealer or whatever. I guess part of the reason that I had a problem was the fact that. He didn't really see the light here. No. He really didn't have some sort of higher calling to a higher moral compass or whatever. All he did was just like, oh, man, the government is coming on my turf, messing with my people who basically are your customers. Mm -hmm. And you can't have your customers get killed. So you need to go protect your customers to protect your bottom line. That's not a freaking hero. <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking like, yo, like all he did was just be like, yeah, I saved your butt. And by the way, I'll see you tomorrow morning for your re-up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a thief trying to protect you from a murderer so they can steal from you <laughs> later. Well, and I also, it makes no sense. And at one point, and we will not, we will, we will not do any spoilers, but his main motivation, we will say outside yeah. of that. The main reason he kind of leaves the safety of a certain place is for his ex-girlfriend. I don't even. I, like, I don't even care about that. Like whatever. Like, so yeah, he, it was. It was not this altruistic. Like, oh no, no. the government is, no. is 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 their plan is finally revealed. Let me go help the community. No. <laughs> yeah. No. It, see, and the thing is, is like, pick a lane. If that's what you want to do, fine. You know, like it still be who you are and you're just, you, you know, just, just pick something because the biggest gripe I have with this entire movie is the writing. Mm-hmm. The writing is just and the sad thing is this isn't a deep movie, you know, <laughs> Not it, at all. It, it, and that's why it kind of it's a little aggravating because it's like you you guys had two jobs, one job set up the purge and basically tell me the underlyings of how it connects into society and how it progresses and so on and so forth. How does it become what we've known it to become? That's job number one. Mm -hmm. Job number two, unlike your other movies, you need to adapt to your setting. And that's where this movie failed. 
I forget the name of the actual writer, but he is the writer from the previous movies as well. And I'm sorry, but if you're going to try and write about, if you're going to try and write dialogue for black culture, black people, it might be helpful to get a black co-writer involved Uh, if if you're not going to step aside. Because the moment a lot of these characters and actors started speaking, it was just so awkward. For, like, I was just looking at them like, something's off here. <laughs> right. Something doesn't seem right. You know, my black radar was just kind of going off. Like, wait a minute now. Like, we don't talk like that. Yeah, we talk in different dialects. And I'm not talking about having a New York accent, mm-hmm. and a Chicago. I'm not talking about that. I don't know black people that say hey sis oh no problem bro like i don't know people that talk in that manner and it's a very subtle thing that you know hey if you're not black maybe you don't notice it right i mean like we're talking about before it is about yeah lenses you know right right And, and 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 the the impression that i got from coming from the movie and i and i told our rep the same thing when they were like hey what'd you think and i was like you know what if you want to have black voices, you should have a black creator in that process, mm-hmm. like a an actual writer. Because the director is black. And here's the thing. The shots, the way the movie was portrayed, I didn't have a problem with that at all. It was literally the dialogue yep. that just was off. That was, that was something sounded, I wrote down. Also, that like yeah. even though the performances themselves, mm-hmm. you know... They, some were, you know, some were better than others, like it is in, in a lot yes. of movies. But right. what the characters were forced to say, you can be a great right. actor, but sometimes just the words that are coming out of your mouth I mean, just do not make sense. The one-liners Ugh. were just kind of like, oh, come on. I mean, they were hit or miss. And it was just kind of like, is this just how you think black people speak? Right. You know, and like that was the impression I was getting. And honestly, for me anyway, again, it might not bother other people, but it was unsettling and just a little disturbing and distracting for me and my viewing experience. Because I was just like, at that point, why don't you just let the actors just improv? Right. Like, let them just say, okay, this is the situation you're in. What do you think you would say? And just let them go because it, it did not sound like it was coming from an authentic place. And that did kind of bother me. Yeah, and that um, and that is film. totally valid. The writer that you mentioned, because uh, we might as well just throw him under the bus, uh, James mm-hmm. DeMonico, who yeah, is yeah is, is. is the same writer, you know, from the other ones. And going back to what you said about his job as a writer, especially a writer that has been involved with these for a while, tie the strings together, you know, have it connect, yeah, have it feel like the same world to an extent. And sometimes it did. But man, yeah. other times it was just jarring. Marissa Tomei, good for her for probably getting a paycheck for like three days of work. Uh, I yeah. <laughs> I mean, because again, she is not there for very long. Her character has a few dozen lines. And again, some of those are even like, okay, wait, even if this were reality, is this what you would say? Is this what you would believe? And could you be that dumb? Like, so many I mean, dumb things happen in this movie. There are a lot of dumb things. <laughs> the, yes, there are a lot of... I know we're going to keep it spoiler-free, but yes. <laughs> especially with her character, there yeah. are a lot of dumb things with her. Yeah, And, and I uh, feel bad, because it's just like... 
do you really have to be this predictable with just how stupid people are like uh. yeah and and i mean that it to me again my lens you know almost every female character in this movie was a prop they were either oh, yeah. a prop totally. sexually or otherwise and it was just like really like james demonico we were calling you out again do not know how to write female characters because the one and, and- the one female character outside of Marissa tomei that we actually I will not say grow to care about that we are supposed to care about is still not developed in a way that makes it feel authentic. She was never developed. And, and, and that was kind of the other issue. I was kind of like, where are we going with her character? Mm-hmm. I mean, like I get it. She's, you know, the moral, you know, compass for, for a lot of other people. But I was kind of like, are, is she going to have a moment? Is she going to have something, you know, something else to go on. Like, cause I really thought they were going to do like a co-lead type of film. Right. But instead it was kind of like, no, we're really going to set it up for, uh, action Jackson here. (laughs) And, uh, you know, he's really going to take over, you know, in the later part of the film. I'm just kind of like, you know, you just kind of wasted her. Like, yeah. Yeah. That that was, that was pretty weird. Uh, the latter half of the movie, uh, when, when it became <laughs> Action Jackson, also reminded me a lot of just Sweet Sweetback's badass song, where it was just a black character who is against the man and does all these ridiculous things, but for his own reasons. <laughs> but it was like, yeah, okay, yeah. the hero of the hood, you know, kind of archetype. Yeah, yeah. kind of, <laughs> even though he's still the cancer of the hood too but whatever yeah very true uh cool and then uh, oh the other thing the uh the what was it it was not the yeah it was the nra not the nra rep but the mm-hmm. fu- future founders the uh founding fathers. founding fathers of america mm-hmm. that guy was again everybody was just character like he was the quintessential smarmy oh, yeah. political businessman but at least mm-hmm. with him, the cheesy stuff made sense because you're like, oh, you're a political yeah. smarmy businessman. Sure. Right. Right. I mean, he probably had the truest to form of a character in the movie <laughs> yeah. that you could expect. It was kind of like, okay, I know who he is. I know what he's about. We're done here. That's fine. Yep. Okay. So, all right, cool. So that was a that was all my notes uh, for the first yeah. purge. So now we'll go on to the official rating system of the about to review podcast if this is your first time listening to the podcast because emmanuel is on it and you know that and you're like no matter what emmanuel is doing i gotta go check it out so if this is your first time listening to the podcast there are three choices when it comes to reviewing things the choices are good bad or ugly no star system no letter system just good bad or ugly a good film is something that you would recommend to a friend when you came out of it you were like cool that was exciting a bad film, you came out of the theater and you were like, okay, that was a movie, but it was not something that you regretted sitting in the theater for two hours for. Ugly, avoid at all costs. You came out of the theater angry, upset, bewildered, whatever it was, and you would never recommend it to a friend. So, as you are the guest, uh, what what, do, what is your official rating for The First Purge, uh, directed by, because I want to I give him a credit since we did credit the, the writer, uh, Gerard McMurray. So the first purge. You know, it, your 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 rating system is throwing me for a loop only because there are certain friends that I give certain recommendations to, 
only because their expectations are different. <laughs> right. You know, so for my action lovers, I would say this is good. Mm. For my people that actually don't mind thinking through a movie, <laughs> right? I would say this is bad. So you got you got to pick one. Cr- you have to officially no, choose no, no. One. I know, I know. So my just to stay consistent with my actual review, this is bad. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I I agree with you. I liked parts of this. Um, the, oh, we did not even mention uh, Skeletor. <laughs> That character, okay with that. That character okay that was that. just ridiculous. Let, let let Skeletor do whatever he does <laughs> for the audience. Yeah. Uh, so my my official was, rating uh, for the first purge is also bad. Uh, it really did feel like one or two or more different movies. But again, the the good part about a bad movie like this is you get a performance like Yolanda Noel that shows us like, cool. Give me an action movie with him in it. I'm there. Totally. Yep. Uh, all right. So uh, the next movie, which is, yeah, the one I saw it as part of the Seattle International Film Festival almost two months ago, and it is just hitting the Seattle market July 13th, which means I can now officially review this movie that I saw forever ago, it seems like. The movie is directed by Boots Riley, and it is called Sorry to Bother You. Now, this one, uh, based on the trailers, I I do love a good trailer. Based on the trailer, people are going to go into this thinking it is a certain type of movie, of which it is, for the first two acts. I will not spoil anything, uh, but this movie, the setup for this movie is pretty simple. Uh, Lakeith Stanfield's character is struggling, you know, to, to make ends meet with his, you know, horribly unattractive girlfriend, Tessa Thompson. I mean, ugh, right? Uh, by that, I mean one of the most gorgeous women on the planet. Right. Tessa Thompson. So he gets a job at a telemarketing company, and Danny Glover teaches him how to use his white voice, the voice that will not have people hang up the phone immediately when they pick it up. That is pretty much the setup. And then, of course, you know, and this is in the trailer, he starts to move up in the company and, you know, become a power caller and, you know, meets oh, an eyepatch wearing coworker slash boss played by Amari Hardwick. Uh, and then things go awry. You know, Tess Thompson starts thinking that, you know, is the money really worth what you are sacrificing by using your white voice? And it has these allegorical messages throughout the film until the third act when that allegory hits you right in the face uh so first when did you first see this film um it had to have been just a couple of days ago Um, oh wow okay so yeah i want to say like mm, like last week early last week so like thursday or something like that okay i was not sure because again chicago and seattle Sometimes we get things lined up right. Sometimes not at all. Sometimes you get stuff way ahead of us. This one is just a rare one that the Seattle International Film Festival scooped up. It made, it was the, uh, I think it was part of the Red Carpet Gala. Like, it was a big get for the Seattle International Film Festival. I mean, what what was interesting about this one was um, they had three screenings for it. Which, you know, doesn't really happen with... 
movies like this, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, if it's something like, I don't know, Jurassic World or you right. know, something that fans will like, they'll do that. But the fact that they had three screenings and when I went to the third screening, I really thought to myself, like, oh, you know, I know all the critics have already seen it because, you know, they were off watching Ant-Man at that time. And, um, you know, I was just like, all right, you know, it's probably going to be a small. No, it's not small. There was a line wrapping around the theater hmm. of people trying to go watch this movie, which to me, again, before even watching it, I had no idea it was that popular mm-hmm. already. And I'm assuming that was because of word of mouth. And it's one of the reasons why, like I say, this movie is, it's not the same thing, but it has the get out effect, you know, because it is original. It is very different. (laughs) It is satire. It is comedy. It has a little dark horror in there. Um, And on top of that, like, it's not something you've ever seen before. And it's one of those things that when you do see it, you really can't help but talk about it. (laughs) And I do think that the word of mouth is what's generating so much hype. Actually, uh, the director came out Mm -hmm. the the following Thursday to do a QA. and a And I spent like all day long thinking, oh, should I go back and rewatch it? And maybe the Q&A will be helpful. Okay, let me go sign up for it. Yeah, sold out. Like wow. just in the, the mere time it took me to think about it, the paid viewing was sold out. So I'm sitting here thinking, like, you know what? I think this could be a big deal, and yeah. it could be. It could be. Yeah, and I, I unfortunately, so I was, I had the opportunity to interview Boots Riley when he was in town for for this film. Just so happened to be that was like the one weekend during SIF when I was out of town. I was actually out of the country at the Vancouver diversity and filmmaking workshop, but my buddy, Tim Hall, you know, the people's critic, he interviewed him. His interview is actually up right now. He was finally able to release that, you know, during this week because it was the week of opening. Boots Riley is a fascinating individual. Uh, the, the director of this film is, I mean, the, the writer and director, I should say his visions uh, that you know that he puts forward on the screen are unique, and not just in you know the the twists and turns that it gets into, but even the stuff that you see in the trailer where Lakeith Stanfield calls up you know a house you know during his job as a telemarketer, and he literally drops into their home, you know, and is right by their yeah. dinner table, all while having this conversation like you do with random telemarketers who call you. That in and of itself was a unique, refreshing visual twist that I just, I got to give him props for that. Like that was, that was impressive. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and, I mean, that's why I tell people, you know, so far, you've never seen a movie like this before because stylistically (laughs) (laughs) it is different. It's, it's almost to the point of being animated, you know, in a sense. And it's just like, yeah, like the way he does phone calls, the way that, you know, people's, it, it, it almost reminds me of like when, um, uh, in family guy, you know, every time they have like a little story or something like that, it literally goes into a different skit, you know, or a different visualization of whatever they're talking about. Um, but yeah, I mean, the only thing that was kind of missing was like breaking the fourth wall, 
you know, but that this, or like a hammer space. Like if Tessa Thompson had reached into a, yeah. a small bag and pulled out something gigantic, but right. that definitely, that is a connection that I mean, it makes total sense, but that I, I had not put it in that context before of, of how just animated it was. And I mean, this, again, this movie is tough to talk about without talking about all of it. But at the same time, I, I will not talk about all of it because this is the movie that people are going to see. And I think this is going to be one of the most talked about films, but also one of the most divisive films of the year. Because Absolutely. People are going to go into this thinking it is a, an off the wall comedy, which it is. And then it goes very off the wall. And I think the moment the third act starts and there is a very distinct oh, moment. Yeah. The third act oh, starts. Yeah. That is going to make or break people's opinions of this. I, I think that, so it's funny because you know one of my friends i uh i recommended hey you gotta go see this movie drop everything go watch this movie and he was the first person that came back and was like this movie was trash (laughs) and the thing is is that it we had to sit down and actually talk about it and it wasn't until we talked about it and went through the plot and actually uh examined it a little bit more that he was kind of like, oh, okay, I think I get this a little bit more now. Because the movie just goes f- so far left, so fast, so hard, mm-hmm. y- you know, it's kind of like if we go back to that car analogy, you're in the back seat, the driver just hit a hard left turn, and your body is flying across the door, you know, the, the seat. At 100 miles an you hour. At 100 miles per hour. <laughs> You don't know if you should be in pain. You don't know if you should be enjoying it because it's fun. You don't know what's going on. And for different people, you know, some people don't like bumpy, fast car rides. Mm -hmm. Some people are okay with it and they like the thrill of it. Um, I do think that for people like us who watch so many movies, the moment you show us something new and different, you already have our full attention. Yep. You know, because I know that I I was sitting there like I didn't watch any trailers. Mm. Um, So, like, even the whole visualization thing, I didn't know what to expect. Um, The only connection I had with this was I am a fan of Lakeith Stanfield as an actor. Um, And uh, I used to be a telemarketer. Like, that was my first job. So, I was going into this movie like, oh, yeah. Like, (laughs) let me go see this crazy (laughs) world because... I have to admit, I also used the quote-unquote white voice when I was a telemarketer, yep. and you know what? I was pretty successful doing it. So, And that, that, that uh, is the thing that a lot of people of color mm-hmm. are going to see this movie, after, especially after seeing a trailer, being like, I know exactly what that is mm-hmm. like, what is funny. So I, I also did telemarketing for mm-hmm. oh, a little bit. What, yeah, various jobs and various different marketing things, but when I actually worked... For a telemarketing company, it was two days Um, (laughs) when I was like 17, I think. And what is crazy. So one of the characters in this movie, one of the managers of this telemarketing group, you know, has a bunch of like face tattoos and all just looks disheveled. Uh, That was pretty much exactly (laughs) the type of people Mm -hmm. that were working in this telemarketing company that I was with for a couple days. Mm -hmm. So much so to the point where there were a couple guys in this uh at this job who are fresh out uh those of you who do not know what that means that means fresh out of prison (laughs) 
mm-hmm. and telemarketing, they could have bunch of tattoos. They could do all of that because nobody is seeing them. So when I decided to, to leave that job after the second day, not even after the second day, it was halfway into the second day. And I was like, yeah, I got to go. You know, this is just not for me. One of these guys who I had kind of befriended during uh, the class, I guess, the, the training. So, you know, we had hit it off. And when I was like, all right, man, I got to go. I was like, this is just not for me. And he was like, yeah, bro, no problem, no problem. Uh, this is also a giant white guy with a bunch of tattoos everywhere. And, uh, and he was like, yeah, no problem. He, like, he goes, like, shake my hand, you know, dap it up. And he was like, he pulls me in close. And he was, remember, we're scorpions on the battlefield. Anything you need, you let me know. <laughs> I was like, what? Okay, bye, thanks. And just walked out. But so seeing that type of character in this movie, and sorry to bother uh-huh. you, where uh-huh. one of the characters is giving this motivational speech about how to hide a body, and the other yeah. people are looking at him like, <clears throat> so uh, we don't need to talk about that. A hundred percent. I related to that because I was that like, there was this. Hilarious. like. And I, I will never forget that. He just, and he was dead serious. He was like, remember, we're scorpions on the battlefield. To this day, I have no idea what he meant, but I knew that if I needed something, I could give him a call, I guess. We were cool like that. I mean, sure. Wow. <laughs> I, yeah. Okay. That, I mean, the, I can't even compare <laughs> a story with that. I mean, the only thing I can remember was just that. You know, the whole, like, stick to the script thing. Oh, yeah. Whenever you go into telemarketing. Yeah, that's the biggest piece of crock that they can give you. Because if you think about that, and that was something I learned in my experience being in there was, like, actually, if you go off the script, you have more chances. Because kind of like Danny Glover's character says in the trailer, you got to act like you don't care. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't need this, you know? And, like... It's just kind of like, hey, I'm carefree, so you should be carefree. And once I adopted something like that and donned the white voice, it was it was like, hey, sale, 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 sale. I never became a power caller, but <laughs> you know, like it, uh, it absolutely helped. But, um, but yeah, I, so I, you know, and and I don't know if uh, Boots had said the same thing to you or, um, but I saw in the interview he also was a telemarketer. Mm-hmm as well and that's where he drew a lot of that experience so um if you've ever been a telemarketer you will automatically jump in and like this movie absolutely um, at least for that aspect um everything else though i mean like the social messages that was cool um a lot of them are pretty overt like you you yes kind of hard to miss them um there were a couple obscure ones i mean I know uh, Tessa Thompson's earrings, for example. Yeah, those were um, awesome. <laughs> they always have, like, different messages, and, you know, however you want to connect them is up to you. Um, but, and and this is a question I have for you, though. Like, was there anything particular that seemed extra or that didn't work for the story? Because I only had one. I mean... But- the the physical manifestations of the allegory in the third act, okay. I will not say was, was quote unquote too much, but it was again uh. <laughs> when it happens. Nobody, like nobody, seeing this movie who does not know what happens, nobody is going to expect that. Like this is no one can be ready for that. No, at all. Nobody. This is one of the most original concepts. Whether it goes too far or not. 
it you know will be subjective like we talked about but when it happens and you get the reason why it happens and you get the ramifications of why it happens and everything goes from there the rest of the third act i, I mean i was i was along for the ride um i mean some of the some of the the romantic angles like there there's a kind of there becomes a weird uh love triangle between some of the characters you know mm-hmm. that gets a a little bit forced, I would say. Uh, that even, was my that was my issue. That was okay. the only part I was kind of like. I don't think we needed this third wheel, right? Um, that came in later because uh, honestly, it really didn't. It wasn't necessary, you know. Like the characters could have still had their issues mm-hmm. with certain people, and um, the movie would have been fine, you know, yep. like we just didn't need it so i was just like well maybe this was just there to prop up a certain actor but outside of that i i just like i don't know why you added this in here yeah i mean the cast itself i mean regardless of the love triangle aspect the cast itself was solid so lakeith stanfield oh, Travis thompson that we already mentioned jermaine fowler amari hardwick terry cruz is in there for like a hot minute uh danny glover steven yoon army hammer but the movie really gels based on the voice performances of Patton Oswald uh, and uh, David Cross as the voice of, you know, Armari Hardwick's character, Mr. Blank and Lakeith Stanfield's character. Like those two are just picture perfect for that white voice, quote unquote. Absolutely. Uh, and I love I was listening to uh, Amari's uh, interview about how he got picked for this movie. And uh, I think Boots just told him, like, hey, uh, so I've got Lakeith Stanfield, Tessa Thompson. And, and he was like, I'm sold. Right. I don't even I don't even care who I'm playing. I'm sold. Like, I'm in. And I think because of that, he was just like, I don't even need a name. Like, yeah. <laughs> forget the name. Like, I just put me in there and that's why mm-hmm. he has no name and, and it's it, very much so like of the uh of kill bill you know, like whenever they would mention right. her name and it would bleep it out and you kept wondering if that is going to become a thing no it just <laughs> yeah is, is a thing and it, apparently the eye patch and i can't remember if this was in tim's interview or something else that i was reading i think the eye patch was omari's choice like that was just something where he was like yeah i think my guy yeah. would have this <laughs> yeah, like, I think sure. he said something like there was something behind it. Like, even though he can't see something, he can still see everything. It was some I don't know obscure wow rationale that he had for that. That sounds like some Amari Hardwick borderline hotep type stuff. Where he was just like, oh yeah, it was, <laughs> it was getting there. It was definitely getting there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the visual visual style was just super unique uh performances were all solid when this movie is Mm -hmm. funny it is very funny like legitimately funny look let me just say (laughs) the funniest moment in this movie was the rap scene oh my gosh like i know i laughed the hardest in the audience because i probably was the quick i was the first one to catch on to the joke Mm -hmm. so i laughed so hard and people were looking at me like what is going on oh that's what's happening right now it was so 
funny. And that is, again, one of the moments where the allegory that we have been, yes. you know, been seeing in various ways throughout the entire film, that is one key example of, this is what I meant, boom. This is what I've been talking right. about the entire time. Right. And, I mean, right. props to Boots Riley for not shying away from that, being like, Absolutely. Okay, this is really what people are wanting from this character at this moment. Yes. So yes. here it is. But man, that scene, I mean, yes, I was almost crying from laughter and also just oh, crying yeah. from just how painfully awkward it was. Yeah, if it, if it wasn't so crude in terms of the language, I totally would have made a t-shirt just <laughs> of that moment. Right. Like, I just think it would have been awesome. Yeah. Um, trying to think. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately that is kind of actually one more question without really talking about it, but Mm -hmm. when it was all said and done, like Mm -hmm. when you finally get, you know, the big reveals and, uh, uh, actually, no, I will not ask that one because it is too on the nose. But one of the other allegories I liked was the whole like worry free workplace. Yeah. Again, it was boots being like, here it is like here are some right here's some ideas here are some visuals similar to the first purge please do not show this to anybody in congress congress because guaranteed yeah. they will also look at this be like huh so what if we frame it like this right i mean you know like and i guess one of the 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 themes that i appreciated in this movie and and it was it was done in a very creative way um, even though they do just come out and say it, you know, in some of the dialogue, um, I liked how it was so reflective of what's going on in society today, yeah. where basically they allude to the worst things get in society. Even if we do get outraged about it, we just adapt. We just shift. Yep. And it kind of reminds me of that uh, the story of the the frog in warm water and boiling mm. water. You could put a frog in a pot, turn the fire up, and it just readjusts itself. You know, it, it, it does not realize like, oh, maybe I should get out of this pot because I'm gonna die, and right. it eventually does boil to death because it just keeps readjusting to the hot temperatures. And uh, and I really like how this movie tried to depict that in terms of you know we're constantly getting all this crazy bad news all the time and rather than actually doing something or taking certain actions we just get accustomed to it we go back to our phones our social media or whatever our personal escapes are Mm -hmm. and you know or watch tv or whatever and that's it so I, I love the fact that the film has the guts to put a lot of these things out there for people. So for sure, cool. Uh, all right. So yeah, because there there's not much more we can talk about without right, right, rest, right. But I'm definitely interested once people see this uh, to hit up Emmanuel and I on social media oh, and yeah. give us your reactions because again, this will be something that is severely going to divide people. There's a lot to talk about. Yeah. Once you actually see it, mm-hmm. but you don't want to ruin it for other people. No, not at all. Cool. So, yeah. uh, official rating, good, bad, or ugly, go for it. I'm going to say good. Um, yeah, I'll, I'm fine with that. Yeah. It was good. 
Nice. Uh, so am I. Uh, I give it a good as well. One of the most original movies of the year, flat out. Uh, if the Academy was going to be super ballsy, if they were to give this some attention for best screenplay, hmm. I mean, I'm I'm I I support it. Yeah, that that would be pretty amazing. Yeah. So, uh, cool. So two goods from us. I mean, you know, it just kind of goes to prove: just never look a gift horse in the mouth. Uh, <laughs> I like what you did there. But, <laughs> uh, and also one quick thing before we wrap up: uh, the first purge, one of the other visual effects that they did were the contacts. I like that I s- the 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 purge technology. Yeah, like I that saw it because really in some of the commercials touch. you see some colored contacts. I'm like, ah, whatever, gimmicky. Yeah. In the movie, it makes sense, and I was like, that was yeah. clever. I liked how they worked, and I liked yes. how, what the characters did with them. So, just a quick that little did, thing that. That was a nice Blumhouse effect, yeah. To draw in a little bit of traditional horror, so yep, that, it, it worked very well. Nice, cool. So to uh, to wrap up things, so the first purge, unfortunately, got two bads uh, from Emmanuel and I. Had some good ideas, but it was just super cheesy dialogue. Everybody was a caricature, and it was two or three different movies in the span of ninety minutes. Yeah. Uh, and then Sorry to Bother You gets uh, two definite goods. Super original. Really good styling. The allegories are metaphorical at first. That seems weird. The allegories are metaphorical. <laughs> uh, but it everything comes to a head. Everything really gets you there. So, uh, yeah. And what else do you have coming up? And also, again, where can people find all of the things that you work on? Um, so look, what I got coming up, the, the craziest thing happened in like the last two months, apparently people really, really like Avengers Infinity War theories. So Mm -hmm. like a couple of my videos went viral and in the span of like two months, thank you. Yeah. I mean, in like two months, I I went from like 500 subscribers on YouTube to like now 23,000 and it's kind of like a little overwhelming because now <laughs> I feel a sense of responsibility to put more content out there for people. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I will be doing is as soon as I can iron out the, the wrinkles in this video, um, I'll be doing a couple videos on Ant-Man 2, uh, explaining the quantum realm, why, how it fits into the MCU because uh, a lot of people only talk about the quantum realm, but they don't actually talk about what it means mm-hmm. for the actual MCU itself. I'll talk about a uh, hidden Easter egg as to, uh, let's just say, what's going on with Janet Van Dyne. Gotcha. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll do a separate video for that. So by all means, definitely check out my YouTube channel. Um, E-Man's movie reviews I'll still do reviews on there Right now I'm probably going to do more You know just fun videos Doing some Marvel stuff Maybe one day once I get time I'm going to lay out a game plan for DC And say hey If you need some help here's Here are 10 things that you can do You know here's the guide for you But by okay. all means check me out YouTube, Facebook Google E-Man's movie reviews You'll find me Nice. 
Uh, yeah, and I will put all of those links uh, in the description below. So super easy to just click those through. Make sure to subscribe uh, to his channel and be one of the new 23,000 uh, subscribers. Uh, as for this podcast, so this Friday, there will be an episode of About to Interview, a collaboration episode that I actually did with Aaron White of the Feel and Film podcast. It was the interview that we did with Gus Van Sant and Beth Ditto from Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot when they were in town for the Seattle International Film Festival. This was one that I mentioned a couple weeks ago that I thought I could release. And then I talked to the publicist. She was like, nope, it comes out on the 13th. So I had to wait. Uh, so now it will be coming out this Friday, uh, July 13th. And then next Wednesday, a special episode of the About to Interview podcast, which normally comes out on Fridays, but this is going to be on Wednesday the 18th. I talked to uh, my friends Pornsack, Pichet Shote, and Aaron Campbell, the creators of the Infidel comic book series for Image Comics, their fifth and final episode or fifth and final issue of their five-part series Infidel lands on Wednesday the 18th. So the three of us just had a great conversation just about their inspirations for the comic book, uh, kind of what they plan on doing with it moving forward, because it is getting made into a movie, which they announced before the second issue had even dropped. So those guys are great. We had a really fun conversation. Uh, It kind of went all over the place, which was nice uh, because it was just a fun, interesting conversation with two huge comic book nerds uh, who happen to be creators and writers and artists for comic books for image so that will be dropping on wednesday the 18th on the podcast feed as well as youtube.com slash about to review and then the week after actually no that same week next week i will be an interview with bo burnham and elsie fisher that i did when they were in town for the seattle seattle international film festival for their film eighth grade so that wraps it up for this week's episode uh, thank you again, Emmanuel, for for taking the time to do this. It is a lot later in at, in the night than we had initially planned this, but so thank you for being flexible for that as well. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Excellent. So for this podcast, again, subscribe on subscribe to the podcast on your podcast platform of choice, and make sure to follow the podcast on social media at About to Review. All of those links again will be in the show description below. So for this episode, I have been joined by. E-Man from E-Man's Movie Reviews. And I've been your host, that guy named John. We will see you next time. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. To get ourselves a 